Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, this, also, this seminar is going to be on succession planning, so if you're, it's like on the airlines. If that's not what your intention was, it's now probably to find the right plane. Uh, let's start off with a prayer, and, uh, and then we'll get going. Our dear, kind, heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for giving us a freedom, freedoms that you do. And in this seminar, we're, uh, we ask your blessing for us to maybe hear you speak to us if there's something we learn to share with other ministries or other businesses that, uh, that glorify your name to maybe help them if, you're, if your soon return isn't soon enough that we maybe keep ministries that maybe, we, maybe we would have lost or businesses. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we thought for the first five or seven or so minutes, we'd first ask the question, why is it that if we all recognize succession planning is important, why is it that so many businesses and ministries don't spend the time doing it? And so we were going to toss that, toss that to the floor. So raise your hand. We'll try to catch you on the, on the mic. Do you have any reasons why... Businesses, ministries, don't seem to always spend the time on this topic. Anybody? Come back here. The tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent prevents them from adequate planning. The tyranny of the urgent, what's right in front of us, distracts us from long-term thinking. Yeah, and so in my, in my business, we often use the word, we're too busy firefighting. We are full of wonderful firefighters. It's a question over here. Does your mic go over there? I was talking with a friend about this recently. I think uh, the fear of losing control, um, passing on the control. The fear of losing control. Uh, Let's flesh that out a little bit. So the fear of losing control, I'm not in charge anymore, but what What's, what builds off of that? What's kind of ancillary to that? I'm not in charge, and someone else is what? Someone else what? Someone else is the boss, and so what's my fear there? Not just about being in charge, unless I'm a total control freak, but um, I'm concerned about not being in charge because of failure? What sense? Okay, so I'm concerned that somebody else isn't going to do it as well as I am. They're not going to maintain the same level of success. So, yeah, I think that's really important. Failure, but it's not just, I mean, I'm afraid of losing control, but not just control. I'm afraid of control be, losing control because someone else isn't going to carry it on as well as I could, I think. Okay. Maybe they won't need me. Okay, maybe they won't need me. And that is a really good point. Denzel, you want to address that? You got a mic there? No, it's just a really good point. You have to be secure enough in your, and I think one of the questions leads to that about how you have to make sure that you're secure. As a matter of fact, I just had a talk with some people that were retiring from the GC, and they had had 40 years of experience working with the general conference, and, or with the with the ministry, and now they're retired. And so the concern they had is that what is your life outside of work? Yeah. And that's something that's is very important that people have to have to they have to have something to do. Okay, so there's a there's a thought. I've lost control. Someone else might succeed. Now I'm a bit irrelevant. And if my work is who I am, 
then I'm in a lot of trouble. Jim, sorry, the back can, can I just so, add one other thing? Yeah, one thing we've, one thing, I'll put this, one thing we've done with key people in our company is if they're, if they're key people, we have actually said, if you want to retire, that's fine. You can keep your office and uh, work half time. And uh, we get to the place. I have one gentleman who's 84 years old that still comes to work every day. And I said, you know, you can't, you don't have to come to work every morning. He says, yeah, but if I didn't, my wife's going to put me to work and I'm going to be really busy. <laughs> so, so he actually, he literally is 84 years old. He comes to work every day, stays till about noon and then he leaves and he, he loves to play golf with his, with his old friends and he goes and plays golf in the afternoon. So, uh, you know, it's really nice to have a transition, but then make it easy for the, for the, the senior person to be able to utilize that resource. He's got friends and he's got knowledge that we don't have yet. And because uh, because of his experience that we can't really get. And so we want to utilize those people as much as we can. Okay. Okay. So just to kind of recap that, um, sometimes the board wants the person to leave and the guy, person in charge, male with female, isn't ready to leave or thinks they're not ready to leave. Sometimes the board's too weak to help a transition takes place. That's a really important point. If we think about, um, particularly in the nonprofit ministries, the role of the board there. Um, and sometimes the individual just really wants to keep hold of control and power and authority. Well, I would say, uh, as uh, in the private sector, yeah, and I being a founder of an organization, it's uh, much more difficult and it has a lot of strategy of thinking through this because you have to consider whether you're going to sell it or whether you're going to have the sustainability for a company to continue on. Those elements differ from seminar to seminar. I mean, you know, if it's a faith-based person in a leadership role, uh, you have far different idealism things that you're trying to achieve. You, this has to be a really well thought through. There are a lot of challenges in this very issue we're speaking of. In my case, whether it's not family members or anybody in the stream of family to continue on with a business, um, but you are a faith-based person, then you could be very alone in this thing. You've got to go outside and get counsel. And not always is the council consistent on the elements. Reading through 20 things that you have on this, this is a very worthy discussion. And so depending on the size, too, whether it's a small, uh, the revenue, uh, the impact, there's a lot of things that are in play here as to how the planning goes because it's far different with a mid-sized company than it is with uh, what we consider a small growing company. So that's why I'm here. I think uh, I'm not a big business owner, but uh, I think probably uh, it's always wise to, to, I don't know about non-profit, but probably in the business to to keep the wisdom that's out there. But uh, with the revolving world of business outside, I, it's good to have an exit plan or something like that. You know when to finish, and probably in leadership you should think about that. You can create something new because I think the world of business is just keep on changing. 
Thank you. So there's certainly a, a large need, both in the business realm and in the nonprofit sector. Um, Rusty, sorry, I have one more. But back to the, you know, kind of the question, we all agree it's fairly important. We all agree it's really important, but we don't do it. Why? Succession planning is a lot like any other kind of change planning in any organization. And the nature of leadership in organizations is such that leaders that are very strong by personality who are motivated by self-actualization needs are the racehorses that build really great organizations, but they're also the same kind of people who don't let go easily. And so to manage change for a racehorse in any kind of a change in an organization is difficult. Uh, succession planning is exactly the same way. So the, the stronger a leader, the more difficult it gets. And so as an organization reaches the end of the life of a leader, the difficulty actually increases for that leader. Yeah, and just navigating change as a whole or leading change is uh, probably an important issue in this as well because all change brings with it a sense of loss, even if it's a good change. And that's something that we you know, need to realize that unless we're the one initiating it, change usually is uncomfortable. And we generally much prefer the status quo. Okay, so if there's no other uh, thoughts on additional new thoughts to what we just shared. I think we've covered a, a wide range for the reasons. So let's move to the next part of the program. Let's talk about some of the solutions, some of the steps. What can we do? And so what we've collected on this sheet of paper is um, years of research on, on family businesses because there's family business academies across the nation that organizations and businesses will join to try to help improve their chances of successfully moving their company from the next generation to the next generation. Now, even though that's for family businesses, most of all those key learnings, all that research absolutely transfers to ministries in many ways, most of them. And so before we get started on that list, let's go ahead and maybe introduce our panel, and uh, we'll go from your side to this direction. So Steve, go ahead and introduce yourself, and then we'll go, go ahead and start with you, and we'll go through the panel, then we'll go. Panel. So my name is Stephen Grabner. Um, I'm the president of Outpost Centers International. It's a family of 110 supporting ministries in around 35 different countries. I'm Steve Dickman. I'm the president of Harbor Hills Academy in Savannah, Tennessee. And um, we have been through a family transition in the last 25 years. I came back to Harbor Hills and uh, my father was winding down and retired and he still is there on the campus, and I'm in leadership, so it, it's, uh, it's something we're familiar with, but it's not without challenges. I'm Denzel McNeilis. Uh, I'm chairman and CEO of, the, uh, of Sterling State Banks, a family-owned uh, banking operation in Minnesota with different, some other entities, and uh, I'm in the process of succession management as we, as we speak. I'm Wilbur Atwood, retired president of Wildwood Lifestyle Center and Hospital, and uh, several other self-supporting projects as well in the past. And I'm very, very thrilled with uh, the, the, the range of diversity and knowledge here at the front. And my name is Rustin McKee. I'm with McKee Foods Corporation. We've been blessed to have the ability to reach out to uh, Kennesaw State, Family Business, um, Cox Family Business uh, Academy, and the Loyola University's Family Business um, University. And um, we've been able to use both those resources, and we've gone from 
for the first, the second generation, we didn't have any help at all. And, but we were successful in, in moving our company to the third generation, and we're already in the process of assuring we've got additional tools, additional systems to try to make a smooth transition to the fourth generation. And if you look at your uh, handout there, you'll see that uh, there's only a 30% 30, 30 success rate to go from first to second generation, only a 12% chance to go from second to third. So again, I, 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 uh, I want to acknowledge God for blessing, us, blessing our family business with wonderful grandparents and wonderful parents and uncles um, because we've, we've beat the odds already. And to go to the fourth is only 3% chance. So it gets even tougher. Um, okay, so, uh, so I hope you get a feel for this meeting. We want it to be very engaging. We want to uh, have um, your thoughts from the audience as, as much from the front also. And... Um, We'd like to go ahead and uh, start with um, asking our panel, uh, what are those top several items from this list that probably stand out the most to your heart that you have a, a passion to share to this group that uh, we might learn most from? And we'll start over there on your side with Steve. Well, I uh, have looked at this list, and I think every item is important. And if you have one of those lists in your hand, I hope you will look over that list because there are a lot of valuable points here. Um, on point A, the attitude of ministry or business leader, the attitude of the ministry or business leader is the single most important factor in any succession. In my specific case, when I came, returned to Harbert Hills Academy, my father was very happy that I had come back and had a very good um, attitude about the whole process and was very engaged in helping me to become acquainted and uh, understand the, uh, the issues of the institution and what I should be thinking about and gave counsel to me. And we worked together for probably, um, I'm, I'm going to say a good probably 10 or 12 years through that initial phases of that process. And probably at about year six after I'd returned somewhere in there, he actually ended up retiring. And um, of course, we put him right back to work. But he ended up retiring and had a very good attitude about the whole thing and was happy to be engaged. And he always pointed to me and said, well, ask him. He's the boss. And I would always point back to him and say, but he has all the answers over there. And so we had a good time with that. We enjoyed the process. And it was, it was, um, it was a blessing to be able to actually receive that wisdom of the years that my father had spent there operating the institution and we never really had that kind of battle, that kind of conflict that you see in some cases. And so I consider myself to be very blessed to have had that kind of experience. On the other hand, I sit on a number of institutional boards and observe what happens in some of our institutions or has happened in some of our institutions. And I have seen um, a number of institutions end up closing their doors because the attitude of the leader was one of not wanting to let go or give up in that situation. They felt like, for the variety of reasons that have been mentioned here today, somebody else is not going to do it like I did it. No one else can do this job like I have done it, which is probably true. Now, because with anything, any kind of change, there are risks, and some people are not willing to take that risk. Um, and so that attitude of the leader has a lot to do whether that transition can even happen. And the other thing that Rusty mentioned, which is extremely important, 
was he mentioned that sometimes the board is too weak. I think it was Rusty or Stephen one, that the board is just too weak. And sometimes we get our boards overwrought with family. And there are too many family members on our board. Or the leader of the institution has actually, because of their attitude, ends up controlling the entire board through their um, lack of ability to allow suggestion and just the board simply serves as a, as a puppet of their will, at their will, and does not speak its mind. And, um, and so the attitude of the leader in this case, again, is key. Is the leader able to receive counsel or not? And these are things that the boards really need to be thinking about uh, for these institutions and, and thinking <coughs> about clearly. And I don't know if you want me to go through or just kind of going you know, to... Yeah, we'll do one and then move on. Yeah, we'll do one and we'll just kind of cycle through. I think that'll be... Yeah. While that mic's being transferred, if, if you picked up, uh, it was, did you say six years when your dad said, I'm retiring, I'm handing you the reins? Yeah. Interestingly, again, lining with research, if you look on I, it says, once chosen, no guarantees, five years is enough time to permit training, testing, and executing a smooth transition. Interesting, that's pretty close. Six years. Dental? I, I, and I don't disagree that the five years is important if they have the skills in that to start with. You know, because you got to give, like for an example, we started our 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 succession planning over, I think it was 11 years ago that I started my succession planning. And uh, I still have another 10 years to go. <laughs> so I got a 20-year plan in place. And But that's, you got to realize I'm in the banking business. For a person to be really good in their job takes between 15 and 20 years, and depending on which type of jobs they're in. And so what we have done in our company is uh, we are training the young pe the people that we have, we're training them to take our jobs, but we're training them away because their skill set is going to be different than the skill set that we have. Mm -hmm. So we have put, like, we have put uh, certain young people, we have put them into special uh, banker universities and put them into special schools and put them into different situations with the idea of them being able to take a key position down the road. And uh, basically what we have done is we have a young... My son is taking over. He is president now. Justin is president of the bank. Uh, and we are developing his team, and his team is all around his age or close to his age. And then what we are doing is we're, we're training so that, for an example, we have a gentleman who's going to retire in about five years. We have training people to take that gentleman's job who's, who's going to be part of Justin's team. Then we're training other people to take different jobs. And each job is is someone who is going to be part of Justin's key management team, but it's going to be trained because the banks today versus where we see banks going to be in the future are different. And so we're trying to educate people because the skill set it's going to take to do my job is going to be different than the, the, the expertise that I have. And so I'm trying to make sure that the new generation has those expertise in place. The part that I'd like to talk about, the most important that you brought up, is the one family members... If you can't fire them, don't hire them. <laughs> and I will tell you that Rusty said that a long time ago, and I will tell you I've taken that to heart. Those that have family businesses, like we have a family business, I've sat down each one of my family members, and I said, I look, we love you, you're part of our family, but you're going to carry your weight, and you're going to be a valuable part of our business. If you're not, we're going to miss you in the business, not at the family table, but in the business. 
because we are going to make you, you have to not hold your weight. You have to be better than everybody else. And we have sat down with each one of our family members and told them that going in. And, uh, and I still reiterate, of course, fortunately, I'm blessed that they're, they're holding up to their jobs. But I do talk about it ever so often just to remind them that the family business has to be strong to support the family. Very good. And as the mic's getting passed, I really appreciate what Denzel pointed out. You know, even the research says five years, six years or so is, is a good amount of time. Denzel says, no, disagree. I'm needing 15, 20 plus years. Uh, this research is, is just research. Every entity, business, ministry has to figure out what you need for your operation. Uh, it's just a direction. It's just a guide. Wilbur? Well, I've had the opportunity of passing the torch four different times. Uh, the first three failed. The institutions that uh, uh, I was leaving and thinking that the next man would be able to run it, uh, he either quit or uh, failed to run it. So I learned some valuable lessons that you, you do have to be kind of careful who you think is able to run something, especially in a, in a nonprofit organization uh, of the type that we have. I, we're, we're not the only type, but in the kind of pay that we give in ours, uh, there's a lot of people that maybe they would have the talent to run it, but they're not willing to do it on the long term, or at least wait till the next one comes along. The, the last time, uh, it's been successful so far, uh, which is not a long time, but uh, I think three years, three or four years, but it's looking good. And the philosophy that I adopted after maybe the first or second <clears throat> failure was that since we needed a lot more institutions, that I should try to train every person that I thought could be a leader. And that way, if we didn't need them where I was, they would be able to either start one somewhere else or, or become a leader somewhere else. And so I, I uh, did a few things. Maybe that's enough for now, but I, I did a few things to try to make sure that quite a few were trained to be able to be leaders. Thank you, Wilbur. And uh, I'll just share one of my favorites. It's, um, it's L, the 360-degree review to ensure that trust and skills, values, leadership, knowledge required in a changing environment. Um, how many of you know what a 360-degree review is? Just a few of you. Okay, so it, it is what it is. 360 is clear around you, 360 degrees. And that kind of basically recognizes that, um, that uh, survey, either done by paper or maybe a consultant or maybe somebody on your board uh, who you trust, who seems to be a non, um, oh, how would you say, uh, a, a non-biased, what's the word for that? What's that? Objective. Yeah, impartial, very objective person from your board. Um, who, could, who could do? So we're talking about not a lot of cost, and they, could, um, they would go to your uh, the, 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 the potential selected or thought to be selected person, and you would um, do 360 evaluations, or you would do it for all your leaders, for all your, your key management. 
and that that review is done by the, sub, uh, the subordinates or done by peers, management, and uh, and you can pick up a lot of information. So I said it was my favorite. Actually, it's both ways. Uh, the information you can get back on that can be very humbling, sometimes hurtful. You know, if you weren't aware of uh, your strengths or weaknesses. Uh, but it can be very, very powerful because once you learn what your weaknesses are or how you're being perceived, at least you can maybe take steps to, to improve. And as far as cost on 360-degree reviews, um, it's all over the place. But if you, uh, before the meeting, I, I Googled 360 evaluation, and there's some on there for, uh, for free, some really good questions, and uh, you can just create them from there. So just to kind of build off of that as well, and I think one of the reasons that we're maybe hesitant to do that kind of a review or to initiate the process of, of planning. As we said earlier, obviously there's a lot of emotional dynamics. There's the fear someone else is going to do it better, or they're going to do it worse, I'm going to be irrelevant. Um, this fear is not unique to us living in this day and age. In fact, it's a situation that has been involved really since well, probably longer than this, but since the birth of Adventism. And I'd like to share a quote or two with you um, on this, just along those lines of the 360. And this is a, a letter that Ellen White wrote to an educator in the Adventist church by the name of Goodloe Bell. Anybody familiar with Ellen Goodloe Bell? So premier educator in the church, um, reform-minded educator. And she wrote about him saying this, I tried to place before him where every one of our leading men had made a mistake and hindered the work they were so desirous to advance. Let me restate that. She's communicating with him, and she says, you know, I tried to impress this guy with a mistake that all of our leading men had been doing, and they ended up actually hindering the work that in their hearts, what did they want to see? They wanted to see it go forward. Well, what was this mistake? Each one thought that he was the very one who must bear all the responsibilities. They spread over too much ground and failed to educate others to think, to act, to be caretakers, to lift burdens. When one man entertained the idea he must gather all the responsibilities because he, he could do it in a little more perfectly than another, he sinned against himself and he sinned against his brethren. So here's a, you know, an interesting counsel. And again, she's talking to a specific person, but she says this was a mistake that all of our leading men had been doing. Again, it's a really important thing for us to think through is why don't we take the time to plan? What is it in me that might be hindering it. Now, there's lots of dynamics. I might not have the people, as Pastor Atwood said, or I might not have the finances, or I might not know how to do it, but there's also an underlying aspect in our own hearts. And then, <coughs> excuse me, to continue a little bit further, she said in a different place, um, for years, Elder Andrews, and who was Elder Andrews, by the way? Jane Andrews, what did he do? He was first missionary, right? And I mean, he was brilliant, uh, really smart individual. For years, Elder Andrews held the work back from advancing because he feared to entrust it to others lest they would not carry out his precise plans. He would never allow anything to come into existence that did not originate with him. 
Elder Loughborough also held everything in his grasp, and as a result, the work is years behind. Elder Wilcox, Sister Thayer, have the same spirit, have everything to go in the exact way in which they will dictate. And then she continues. Now, these are all spiritual giants, aren't they? I mean, if I could accomplish a tenth of what Elder Andrews did, praise the Lord. But notice the dynamic there. He's hindering what he wants to advance. And I think we could look at ministries, maybe we won't go there quite yet, but we could look at ministries or businesses that have not carried on because there are individuals that just couldn't let go. This is a really important point for us to think as we're moving through this. As most of you know, I worked with my father and brother in another business before we had our banks. And I remember one time after I was involved with the company for quite a while, I asked my dad, how how were you able to let go? of your bit of of some of the responsibilities he said well i knew that if i wanted to keep you i had to let go because if i didn't i would lose you and you know and i and i as i thought about it it really made a lot of sense is if you're trying to control what are you really trying to control and what is your ultimate goal and you know i I will tell you it's helped me a lot because i mean there's frankly there's times that my son does things that i just bite my tongue you know (laughs) and that's okay you know he's got to learn because I can't let I can't do everything myself, and we got to understand that you got to you got to let go to let it grow. Sure. So a lot of interesting sharings, and uh, before we start walking through the the panel again for other key insights, uh, did, was there anything shared that caught your attention? Or I hope it's please feel comfortable reading through the list uh, something that spiked your interest, and you have a question for the panel or something you want to share from the very back. That's the, this session and the one this morning uh, brought the concept of servant leadership to mind, and which should be easy for you know the, the Christian-oriented manager, employee, what have you. But you know this idea of being able to delegate, you know, is always a challenge. Uh, but my perception of successful servant leadership is that leader who entrusts and just removes barriers, as opposed to micromanaging. But what I'm, what I'm hoping to hear from you guys, and maybe you'll get to it, is uh, the non-family businesses, you know, the, the, the hospitals or the, you know, the schools where you've got, you know, strangers, essentially, you know, maybe some like-minded, maybe, you know, a lot of our organizations aren't requiring church membership anymore. So succession planning in, in that context would, would be uh, something I'd be interested in hearing. Okay, we got three, three of the panelists. Are, um, including Stephen, are all uh, ministries. I would like to speak to that in context of item number C, which I also kind of put a star by on my sheet. And for those of you who know me, um, it is one of the things that I strongly believe in is that every organization must have a long-term plan. And if they do not have a long-term plan, they are actually inviting their organization to deteriorate. And, um, and so I think this is one of the keys. And the ministry that I operate is, is kind of like uh, it, 
It has that almost family feel because my father operated it before me, so you'd almost say it was like a family business, but it's not because it's nonprofit, and our family doesn't own anything that exists there. All of the assets of the institution are institutional assets. We're caretakers there. But at the same time, as I was thinking about this and a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, we started a process of thinking about putting in place for our institution written documents that would tell the world how we operate, what's important to us, what is our mission, what is our vision, and how is that going to be carried to the future through specific strategic initiatives. What this did for our organization is it allowed us to be less concerned about some of those things of whether or not someone was going to carry it on at least according to the philosophy that it was started on because we wrote those things down and the board voted those documents. And so it kind of freed us up in our thinking to consider involving any uh, other people who might not see things exactly the same way, but the board had voted specific um, values and specific mission statement and, and a vision for the organization, which brings stability to the board. So, you know, the, the, the other risk is that I could fall over with a heart attack tomorrow. I mean, that's the reality of our world today. Uh, even young men fall over with heart attacks. I'm not young necessarily anymore in that category, but um, I was just talking with someone today who, yeah, young people, 40, 50 years old, are just falling out and they're gone. They're off the scene. And their ministry can, it could be a huge hit for the ministry. And if there's not written stuff in place that the board can go back to and say, okay, this person is gone, but guess what? We can still go forward because our foundation is here. We have a plan to go to the future. And anyone with basic management skills can carry out a plan that is well-written and well-documented. And if the board will anchor itself to those plans and say, okay, this is who we are. This is where we're headed. This is what we want to accomplish with this organization that brings more stability and less risk of failure of the institution when a leader does, uh, you know, come off the scene, you might say, either through retirement or through some other uh, tragic circumstances that we wouldn't wish on anyone. And so I'm a real believer that as part of our thinking for our businesses, for our institutions, for our um, ministries that we need to have in place written documents that clearly spell out how the, how the institution was founded, the philosophy of, that, of, of the institution that it operates on, and, and the plans that we intend to carry out so that they can be carried out, uh, not only by current administration, but by future administration as well. None of the situations that I've been in have been family members that the torch was passed to. Uh, so it's, it's a very different situation. And basically what I tried to do fairly early on is to be a, a talent scout as different people would come in in the institutions where I served Often they came in as students, sometimes as workers, but to uh, to recognize as quickly as possible those that had leadership skills. 
and then to put them as soon as it was appropriate into some lower level position where they could uh, where I could test them and see for sure whether I was correct in my judgment or not and then if if so uh, they could be advanced to the next level uh, most of the institutions were small enough I didn't have a lot of levels but at Wildwood it was big enough to where it was a, a pretty easy thing to to spot people's abilities another thing that I tried which uh, has yielded several leaders I noticed that the uh, young ladies who were my secretaries that they would often get married and have children and not end up being a leader so I decided I'm going to take young men now they were not as good at the office capabilities as the ladies were. But out of that, the fact that they worked side by side with me, uh, they were uh, learning a lot of the kind of things that I had to deal with. And today, several of them are uh, leaders in a project here or there. One is my son, Wayne. Um, that's the only family situation, but he never, you know, took over in an institution where I, where I was. But uh, he did get that opportunity, and and so he was able to be a leader now of his own project. I think there are many ways, but those are a couple of the ways that I tried to work to, uh, to have some leaders. I think part of the problem is. When it comes time for somebody to step down, they don't have anybody to pass it to. So that that answer some of your questions, okay? So let's. Uh, well, I'll make a, I'll make a comment. In in in, in our business, um, we actually look at succession planning every annually, and one of the best uh, qualities of a good leader is always developing the people working for you into leaders. And so our annual process involves uh, receiving a request from HR, which my sister's over, and uh, you have a list of those who you think would be able to take your own job. You've been developing, who you believe could take your job. You could be 35 years old, 40 years old, have a heart attack. Who could fill your roles? Who are you developing? And, and it might be people working directly for you, or it could be people in other departments, or it could be people out, maybe outside the company if, or ministry in this case. Um, because you really need to have a plan if that, heart, that ticker stops. And so ours is an annual basis. In the first year, it's kind of a cumbersome. It takes a lot of time. It's something you don't always are excited to do. But it slows you down from putting out fires, which you really shouldn't be doing. You should be you know, solving the problem, not, the, not just putting a Band-Aid on things or... But, um, but as time goes on, it, it does pick up some speed, momentum, and it takes a lot less time. But, but it should be, should be something at your fingertips you can grab if something happens. The other thing I think is so important is we, have, we use a little different saying. We say if, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, who's going to take right. your place? And then we, we do that with all our key peace bill, and then we say, okay, if this person gets hit by a bus, who is going to take their place? And then we look through our organization and say, well, if this person's going to take their place, then we got to train them. Do they have the skill set to step in it today? And most all of them don't. 
So, you know, you think about, okay, what type of education they need, what type of experiences do they need. And, you know, even in, and our bank's not big. We're not, we're not a big company. We only have uh, 80-some employees, 10 offices. But, you know, we have eight key positions. Two of them are family members. And, uh, and the rest of them, we're developing people down below. And we, frankly, there's one key position that I have three people that are in training, and I don't know who's going to come out on top over a period of um, a few year a few years. One of the things I think is more important than that, though, and I go to banker school a lot, and we look at a lot of companies. I'll tell you, I look at thousands, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of companies a year, and and look and see what they do for lending and money. And uh, I will tell you that we discuss this a lot in banker school. But the question you have to ask yourself: Can you afford not to do this? You know, people always say they don't, they they can't afford it. You can't afford not to do it. You have to put it into your budget to have the training for the future. you got to train those younger people to, to step into those roles, no matter what you're doing. Even if, and, and even if you're thinking of selling your company, you got to think about that because if you run your company like you're going to sell it, you're in deep trouble. you got to keep it going like you're not going to run it because that brings the most valuable to your, value to your company when you do sell it. So, so it's so I think it's very important that you look at that as you're looking at values, and looking at your budgets. So, just in kind of encapsulating those, uh, word that comes through my mind is intentionality. That there's been this very thoughtful process of this is important. Uh, the question that you raised, Denzel, if if something happens to me, um, hit by a bus, whatever it is, fall off a building, um, who's going to take my place? And that person today may not be your ultimate successor, but they're the person that can step in. And just if I begin to think, so again, for our organization, OCI, it's part of our board policy that the president cannot allow a situation to exist where there's not somebody who could step in if something happens to the president. That's part of the president's responsibility. And now that person may not end up being the president, but they may be the interim person. And so, again, to, to be intentional and begin thinking, okay, who is going to take my place? What am I thinking? Who knows what I know? You know, because then we begin to find out that we have a lot of information that's just in our heads that we haven't shared with others. Maybe it's not written down or something. But I'd like to pose a question, and that is what do you do if there's somebody that doesn't want to be succeeded? I'm not sure that's the right word. Um, if, if somebody is, you know, in the ministry or, or in a business, family business, or in some kind of a situation where they're just feeling like, you know, as James said earlier, I, I just don't want to go. How do we navigate that? I was waiting to see who would be the brave one to try to answer that question. The only thing I'm going to tell you is that my father always says this, and I always hear about it as I, as I analyze companies. Most successors destroy what they build unintentionally because they don't want to give up most founders most founders excuse me most founders thank you most founders unintentionally destroy what they build because they keep on they keep holding on it too long and so you just got to try to figure out how to recognize that's a hard one that's a hard question if you look at the history of institutions, you'll find that most institutions, and probably many companies, I haven't looked at that history, but you'll find that most institutions have a 60-year lifespan. 
They last about 60 years and then they kind of fade off the scene for one reason or another. But um, I've seen some go in shorter periods of time, quite a bit shorter periods of time. Um, and I've seen a few that have survived that well and gone on to, you know, the 100-year mark and uh, some beyond that. So it is definitely a risk. Um, I go back to point A. The attitude and the attitude of not wanting to move on, not wanting to allow and being very anchored there, it goes back to is there strength in the board? Is there strength in the board? Because the board has the ultimate responsibility, and the board can make the decision. But I've seen many boards refuse to make those decisions. They know that it's not a good situation. They don't want the person to continue to run the thing into the ground, but they refuse to step up to the plate and make that decision. And so um, in, in an institutional setting, in any event, I, I just think that um, for all of us, it's imperative that we train our boards to be operating in a way that is uh, for the benefit of the institution, not simply uh, letting things roll along and patting people on the back and thinking everything is happy when you know it's not. We have to ask our thoughtful questions and we have to be intent. And if we're not, the leader who doesn't want to go will stay and probably will run the institution into the ground. I think in a way there's two sides to that question. The obvious side is uh, a leader who has gotten in a position where he can stay and and doesn't see the need to have somebody else take it over. I think in that kind of situation that, at least in the setting that I've been in, that there needs to be some individuals on the board uh, who are not afraid to talk to this individual. I've seen some rugs pulled out from under people, and I don't really think that's Christian, to be honest. Uh, it seems like a lot of times we would rather work behind somebody's back than, than work face-to-face. And I think that's weakness on, on the side of a board. I don't know very many people, if they were faced with that kind of a conversation, who would continue to refuse to pass it on to somebody else. There might be someone, you know, but I haven't run into anybody like that in my experience. So that's the one side. The other side is that uh, I think in some situations it would be wise if the board would ask if the leader has a plan and if the plan is a good one to support that plan, again, rather than just pulling the rug out from under the, the leader. And if he doesn't have a plan, then, of course, the next step is to help him develop a plan so that it can go to the next one. I, I don't know of any leaders that don't realize that there needs to be another leader after them. But I think it would be helpful to improve our, our ways of accomplishing that. 
Okay, I'm, I'll go ahead and put a question back on the floor again. Is, uh, again, do you have any further questions on this topic? Or as you look through the list, do you have any other questions that uh, might have come across your mind? That, um, or something you'd like to share from your own, own experiences? Here we go. Just have a question. I'm not a uh, business bill. But uh, I see this uh, up on the table. We have uh, business people and also non-pro. Non now, how do you choose your board if you have both? How do you select your values? You're running a business and you have a non-pro. I'll start it from a profit standpoint. As a bank, I'm required to have more outside. I'm required to have a majority of the board members be outside board members. And I, I tell you, I made a mistake. When I first bought the bank, they told me to have this person, this person, this person. And it was just pure misery is the best thing I could tell you about having my board. Because these people wanted to do all these. They were corporate people. They want to hire all these studies, all these surveys. And we couldn't get anything done. So I found out what I had to do is finally I was able to get rid of those board members and import, get board members that were more entrepreneurial and more running like their own business. And once I got people that thought more like we did in our board, we are able to move a lot smoother. And uh, it's, a, it's a criteria. I'm, I'm constantly looking at our board members. I'm evaluating our board members. I can tell you I need one of my board members needs to retire uh, and I got another person. I need a certain type of category. I know what I want for a board member. I don't know. I can't find that person at this time. But I will tell you, I spend a lot of time as the chairman. I spend a lot of time analyzing our board and who I need to put in and who I not need to put in, who I can take out, because we need to make sure that that board is in tune with what we do and be able to be give us the counsel we need for the expertise that, we, that we're looking for. From a ministry standpoint, one of the things that uh, our institution operates on what they call a constituency basis. So we have a group of about 40 people that get together once a year, and that group uh, has a nominating committee, and that nominating committee brings recommendations for people that may be able to serve on our board. And so there's kind of a process in place. But you know, it still does not always work that good. <laughs> and you still sometimes get in situations where the board is populated with people who might be better served doing other things. And so it is a challenge, without a question, to find good board members who are willing to serve. And um, we're going to be doing um, a seminar tomorrow on some of the risk of serving as board members. And, and there's huge risk in today's economy, in today's society, about even considering taking a position on a board. And many people want to stay off of boards and shy away from that. But yet our institutions desperately need the leadership that exists in the minds of these people who have worked so hard in their lives to understand the principles that operate a successful business or ministry. So we need that, but there's hesitancy on the part of those who are have the wisdom to get involved because of some of the risk. And uh, it is hard to find board members who are able to walk that line, to not meddle in the business of the institution necessarily on the day-to-day -day stuff, but to be there to guide in the policy decisions and in the overall 
uh, thinking of the institution, bringing it to the future. So uh, I can say it's a challenge, and I, I wish it were easier. And uh, I don't have you know a list of five things you can do to solve that problem, but it is needful for us to share the responsibilities in our institutions to help them operate effectively. The board, kind of board that uh, I've worked with is usually made up of individuals who have experience in the kind of work that we're doing. And in general, I haven't noticed that boards were a problem to, uh, to the institution when it was real strong, when it was going well. But I, I noticed that when the institution might not be going well, uh, the board became a serious problem and often further destroyed the institution uh, because it's kind of like everyone uh, knows the answer, but you can't use all the answers at once. And so it, it just really creates a problem. Uh, how to solve that is another issue, but I do think that there needs to be board education and training in order to help most boards be able to serve in the very best way possible. There's a gentleman by the name of John Carver who's written a lot about uh, board governance, and he had a very interesting statement. He says, boards are highly effective individuals working in a highly ineffective manner. So <laughs> you get all these very talented people together and unfortunately, often, they don't function well. And, and there's lots of reasons for that. One could be uh, how the conversations are structured. One could be you know, the leader of the board, the chair of the board. One could be uh, whether, as Denzel said, they're not really in tune with that particular organization. But it's, it's essential that boards evaluate themselves and think, well, who do we want on this board? What kind of individuals do we want on this board? And then to hold board members accountable. You know, are you really participating? Are you, you know, getting engaged on the board? It's a, we could spend a lot of time talking about boards, but again, it's very important for uh, succession planning, and it's also important for the regular maintenance of the organization. So they take time, board training, uh, evaluating the board, thinking carefully of who's on there, how long they've been on there, what's the contribution they're making. Those are all, all important issues. If I can add just one thing I think is important. A lot of times when I see boards, they'll get all people that think a lot like they do. Yeah. And I think the problem, that's a, that's, a, that's a problem. You know, and I was saying I needed board members. Like right now I need a, an account, a person who owns an accounting firm is who I want that I don't have. My, my one past person who had that, frankly, had passed away. And I'm looking for a new person because he actually passed away just recently. And so I'm looking for some of that. I need someone of different expertise to put on the board so I can really have well-bounded. I, I don't want people who think the same way I do because if I do, I don't need them. I want people who think differently than I do but have the same goals that we have. That's the difference. So if I could jump in with that. Um, uh, so how do we navigate that? Um, so I want somebody that thinks differently than I do until they think differently than I do. <laughs> and 
and then what? So if I can uh, help, if you guys can help me with that. I mean, I agree with you, Denzel. And yet at the same time, if you're leading and you have this person that thinks differently than you do, how do we navigate that? We had a board member one time who always thought differently than I did. And I say always, most often, and during a board meeting, thought differently than I did. Um, and I miss him today because he died from cancer. And so we had our battles, and, and, and they were real battles, you know, um, thinking differently about things and being challenged on points. And he would ask questions that had no answers, easy answers, and you don't like those in a board meeting necessarily because you like to be able to give answers where at least uh, to the general um, person it would appear that you've got a good, good plan and you're working your plan and everything's going along smoothly. And uh, so he wouldn't allow that, though. He would keep drilling into these issues and questions he would have and, and things that were bothering him. And he was really irritating. But, but really, I miss him, you know, from the standpoint of knowing that there's somebody there doing that and being proactive in that way. And so I think we as leaders, we need to learn how to deal with that and to accept those challenges as good things yeah. instead of looking at it in a negative way. We need to, and, and some people, they're just like a burr in the saddle, and they're, they're, they're not, yeah. you know, maybe their people skills aren't good, <laughs> but it's okay. If they're asking the right questions, we should really be thankful to them for that. And so it's a change in our own attitude as leaders to thank those people for their participation and, and, and to, for asking the hard questions and not letting us off the hook too easy. I don't think it's too hard to have people who think differently from us, but if they get the board to outvote us, then it becomes a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, really we are, we are better off with having people that have a, a variety of ideas. I know sometimes... I was happy that a different idea came up because I could see it was a better idea. But occasionally it doesn't seem like a better idea. But in, in our kind of, uh, of labor, and I think a godly businessman ought to have the same confidence, and that is that over and above what we're doing, God is in control. And if something is not supposed to happen, he's able to stop it. If it is supposed to happen, then it might even go against our, our wishes and, and go a different way. But in the end, you know, we want God's will. And so we can relax. And uh, if it was a mistake, God can even recover from a mistake as well. So... It should make us as leaders able to relax a little bit in that kind of situation. Okay. One question about the board and a lot of, a lot of great uh, information. Did, uh, I think we answered your question. Russell. Very good. And there's somebody out there? Thank you. I do, another question does raise itself. If a poor leader uh, then decided on a successor, 
What would be the success of that future leader if they were chosen by a leader who might have not had the adequate skills or skill set to be a good leader in the first place? Or to maybe broaden the question for the panel, um, certainly that would be a problem, but maybe we can get to a root thing is who should choose the successor? Should it just be the leader or how should that decision take place? Well, in our setting, uh, it can't just be the leader because the board is the one that is ultimately responsible for the success of the institution. But I think that if, if uh, quite a bit of planning has gone into having another leader, then the track record that that person already has will assist the board in being able to make a good decision. And it would make it harder for a leader to to make a wrong choice because he has to, uh, you know, have the track record of the other individual. Let me just pick one. Uh, fortunately, I had the privilege of training both of the main leaders of Wildwood. Uh, one of them started very early, James Hartley. Uh, I had the privilege of giving him Bible studies. He wasn't an Adventist when I first met him. And he ended up uh, choosing to become an Adventist. And I recognized his talent by the end of our Bible studies, so I invited him to come and work as my assistant in the office. Then I recognized that he had uh, good ability as an educator, although he, you know, he didn't have a college degree, but he he was a good educator. So we put him in charge of the education department. He did very well there. Uh, after that, uh, I think from there he, he went into, uh, into light, which was just kind of getting, getting underway. And so by the time that it was time for me to step out, he was... He'd already proven himself to everybody. There was no argument necessary, no proving necessary, because it it was already obvious. I want to say one thing about how successors are chosen or how, you know, that plan should take place. Um, And that is that, from my observation, I have seen some cases where it was the institution leader was allowed to choose their successor and um, also allowed to run them off. (laughs) And several of those happenings then create for the institution kind of a a record of of, um, this might not be a good place to attempt to to be as a successor. And uh, so again, I go back to uh, good strong boards, that are doing their work and making good decisions and there's some accountability from the um, existing leader to the board. I had a conversation just today with an individual <coughs> who was asking for some, some counsel and um, they said we have just a small family board and they have an, uh, 
an organization, a nonprofit organization that they've started. It's growing. It's developing. God is blessing in the in their work, but they know that their board is not well structured because they have a small, just mostly family-centered board. And again, it goes back to some of those foundational issues of is the board going to do its work in this area of planning as well as its other areas of accountability. The other question I think is important to do is that are you growing from within or are you hiring someone from without? And there's a huge difference between the two. If you look at any, you look at most great companies, they usually hire, they usually build with, with from within. And uh, and so if you're building within and you do the right succession planning, like for an example, when I finally made uh, Justin president, when I went around to my board of directors, they all said it's about time. You should have done it sooner. So you know it's one of those things. I think that as you're building it. Your board of directors, your people get comfortable with it to where when it when it does, it's almost seamless. It's like no one even really knew. He's been doing the work. You might as well give him the title, so to speak, in the succession plan. Okay. And the only thing I might want to add there is on um, on your printout there is P, you know, the successor, those, those you're hoping will be able to move into that role. You should really have an opportunity to run a visible area of the ministry or business, and that's where they build respect, rebuild trust with other peers, and, uh, and you get to see them work and almost test test that out. And Rusty, if I can clarify, that's where I said it takes a long period of time, is because we have them run different departments, and then see how they do. And if they do that department well, then they grow the next one. If they do that department well, they grow the next one. So a lot of cross training. So lots of cross training. So by the time, by the time. Uh, uh, my president becomes president, he has done every job in the company. That's good. Denzel, I don't remember. I think it was Joe Garagiola told the story about um, how he was once upon a time invited to serve on a bank board. And he said he didn't know anything about banking at all, so he just watched the chairman of the board, and every time he voted yes, he voted yes. And uh, But he said, he, you know... <laughs> He said he, he really didn't want to become known as a yes man, so he said every time the chairman voted no, he voted no. <laughs> but uh, on the concept of inside versus outside, I, I was invited to serve on a uh, regional uh, health organization board. Uh, it was actually an interesting thing. It was a joint venture between the Episcopalian Church and the Mennonite Church, so interesting dynamic, and uh, was on that board for about 17 years. Interesting the way it was operated. The um, selection of board members was done locally. The selection of leadership in that organization is done locally. And I've observed some really excellent succession planning and, and execution taking place. But what was interesting, because everything is done like you just suggested from inside, the uh, leadership has grown within and it's very organic. But on the board level, the local board members are selected from the local community because for the same reasons. But interestingly, when I was interviewed to be a member of their board, they, in this particular case, asked the chairman of the Mennonite Health Services in Pennsylvania, who affiliated organizationally but not operationally, flew to the West Coast, spent an hour with me one-on-one to determine if I was the kind of a person they wanted to serve on a board that was part of their organization. Totally separate from the 
selection process, but it was a vetting process done by outside. So it had an interesting combination of both inside and outside influences that turned out to be, I think, highly effective over the long haul. Thank you. <clears throat> it was mentioned that there are certain hazards uh, to being on a board, and so that it's it's sometimes difficult to find board members willing to serve. Could you enumerate what those hazards might be? I think that's tomorrow morning seminar, right? Tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow, uh, but there's li there's liabilities uh, depending if if the board acts in a way that's inappropriate, board members could have certain liabilities, legal liabilities. With that, it'd be one yeah. quick, short answer. And on a bank, if you, frankly, if you, uh, if the bank is run improperly, the board members actually have to get write the check for, uh, for any loss that would go to the share, to the depositors. Well, that's not interesting. <laughs> it's hard to get board members for banks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Okay, well, we only have four more minutes, three or four more minutes, so maybe we can kind of pull things together, you know, in order to do secession planning. Again, you have your, your um, paper, your handout, um, and again, the title is on the paper, Without a Secession Plan, Good Businesses and Ministries Vanish. And it's unfortunate that we could probably regale you with horror stories of ministries that have vanished. Um, that's very unfortunate, but it's one of the reasons we're discussing this topic because it's very important, again, for an individual, for family business, and for ministries to be thinking, how is this ministry going to continue long-term? Because that's really what everyone in this room, I believe, is interested in, is how to continue the viability of my business, my outreach, my ministry, so that it lasts much longer than I do. So what were some of those key things that we could, you know, just kind of um, bullet point ideas to move people toward secession planning. And panel, you have some just like reiterate some of the key points just quickly. Well, one point that I had marked here that we didn't really talk about is that the individual who needs to move out, you know, into uh, a more retired type mode I think part of the problem is that there's not a broad uh, amount of interest in different things. And so there's the temptation to hang on to, to that job because there's not other jobs that they're so interested in doing. Um, but if we have a broader interest, then we can just move into something else. With me, uh, actually, I didn't desire to be the president of a corporation or an organization. I did it out of need. And pastoral work was really a greater interest to me. So fortunately, it made it easier for me as I slid out of being the president into being the pastor. So the leader who's transitioning needs to have something to transition to. Yeah. So that would be an important and as I say this, please don't take this the wrong way, but on my desk I have a paperweight and says, my tastes are very simple. I only want the best. And to be a great leader, the sign of a great leader is when the company runs better after you leave than it did while you were, while you were there. 
Yeah. So to put things in place that the ministry is going to even flourish when I'm not there. I think another thing, and I know there are a number of people in this room, I just see you out there. You are leaders. You're leaders of your company. You're, you're the owner. You're the director. You're responsible. And I feel that in my situation as well. And I need to culture my own attitude. That little first point, attitude is important. I need to be ready uh, to, you know, to look for those successors and to put them in place and to help this process be carried forward. And I need to recognize the value of it as opposed to, you know, what happens if I don't do it and what happens if I do it? I need to see that clearly. And Rusty, you have one? And then no, that's it. You're wrapping up, right? Or yeah, did you have a point? No, no point. Up. I was just going to say that uh, don't forget to fill out the orange forms. And you were going to say? Um, get started in your secession plan. That's the most important thing. I have a, <coughs> a friend of mine who I, uh, several friends, who have given like a financial, uh, a chart, a piece of paper to help him organize financial issues, like, you know, my credit card number or my passwords. In case something happened to him, his wife would know exactly what to do. Well, it took him a long time to put that piece of paper to fill it out. He realized it's important, but there's all sorts of other things that come before doing what's really important. Secession planning is vital for your organization, for your ministry, for your business. Take a step to make it a reality. My closing words will be, um, after seeing some ministries uh, vanish, I I, I talked to our our previous president, uh, Elder Fournier, and I said, you know, we need to have a seminar on succession planning. He says, you're exactly right. You do it. <laughs> so that's how this occurred. So when you were in a small churches, the same thing. If you have concerns, sometimes you get put in that responsibility to take care of it. Uh, really appreciate your interest in this. And when, when I asked um, Elder Grabner if he would um, help me with this, help me put this together, you know, one of the questions was, well, what's the purpose? And he, he's already hinted on that, and I just want to underscore it again. It is my passion, and everybody's passion here at the front of the room, is that you have something in your hand, you know of a ministry or a business you care about, please get involved, talk to them, and just encourage, encourage, encourage. There's no reason to lose any ministry day when we have the tools available at our fingertips that will get us through this. Let's have a word of prayer together as we close. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us something to do in this world that will make an eternal difference and help us to see again um, the value of taking time to focus on those things which are most important. Help us to put something we've learned this afternoon into practice to begin to think of steps that we might take. And we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org